0: everyone welcome to all of you gathered for Yahweh's Feast of Tabernacles with Torah to the Tribes and to those gathered in fellowship online from across the nations if you are just now joining us we welcome you and please note that all previous sessions have been recorded by Torah to the Tribes and uploaded to their ministry YouTube channel today we will cover part two of the message of the manna titled Priest. But before we get started, I want you all to know that we received a love note from Yahuwah to all of us. I just wanted to share what occurred after session one titled Pearls. Yahuwah Hand delivered a very special note to all of us. We recall in one of the praise songs, there was a phrase we sang to Yahuwah saying, I want to touch you. Mm-hmm. Did we not? Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. And I am here to say, through praise, through changing the atmosphere here at campsite Laloa Lee, through the sweet spirit of love, acceptance, and honor of one another. Through the speaking and instilling of wisdom through his word, we touched him, and he touched us back with a love note. So you might be thinking, come on, Libby, are you saying we got a written love note from Yahweh? Yes, I am. Well, Libby, how would you know that? I knew that by the courier in whom he chose to send the note. You see, in session one, we saw one of the definitions of delium as pearl, correct? Correct. Well, our love note from Yahuwah, letting us know he provides living manna for our needs, was delivered to me by pearl. You cannot make this stuff up. Pearl, wave your hand. Pearl. Pearl has what over twenty years of Hebrew language study, and she came to give me the letters that made up betelach, which is the Hebrew word for delium. So that love note was delivered to us by Pearl. That knew how to spell Betelac Delium, which means pearl. And here's the love note. She wrote it out. And she shared so much that I probably couldn't do it justice. But it's called a Brit, correct, Pearl? And it's the original Hebrew? Yes. So it's a four-letter word, bai, dalit, lamed, het. And then she wrote the meaning of each letter. And She said, of course, I could write a page on each one, but she, can, she made it concise for me. Thank you. So this is Genesis 2:12, Strong's number 916, badalak. Because she, she shared that there's no vav or uah in a Brit. The Vav comes from modern Babylonian Chaldean flame, is that correct Pearl? Okay, so with that information what she did was confirm the letters that our Melchizedek sister in Germany, Sabina, had given me and Sabina had given me the letters but then she followed through and she wrote me an email. She said, I would not use the Vav for the interpretation. I think The other day i said the lamed but it's the vav because it was added later and pearl confirmed that the original word has four letters you could also uh sabina went on to say you could also begin with the door of the house and goes on to say the thing with interpreting is very difficult you need to know the hebrew ancient culture it's not only about adding the words and I would like to add to that I believe you truly have to have the Ruach HaKodesh as well to really be able to interpret those letters so in essence this is how I would say it we do know that the door of the house Yahushua HaMashiach is the Good Shepherd that with his rod and staff protects, binds, and gathers his divided and scattered flock into one sheepfold, those born from above, Israel. And then conversations followed. I spoke to Lucy and she shared she turned around several illnesses by being on a nutrient dense OMAD meaning one meal a day for what the past four years right Lucy she greatly improved her health and she's way ahead of me and she's a walking testimony right in our very midst she took back control of her life so this is the the letters i didn't flip it in time but this "vov" in the center is what was added later then we were talking to shalina shalina are you here there you are and she shared um, she was a gardener and grows beautiful heirloom hungarian heart tomatoes she makes homemade sauces and she grows huge broccoli heads that were just absolutely gorgeous, and I'm sure they came from the Garden of Eden. She was also aware of the importance of keeping our electrolytes in balance. So anytime we look at you know doing fasting and that sort of thing, that's extremely important. Psalm 87.5 And of Zion, it is said, each one was born in her. For the Most High Himself does establish her. Yahuwah, Yahuwah does write. See, He does write. And does He not use our hands and our mouthpiece, just like He used Pearl's hands to write that note? He's the one that gave her the wisdom. He's awesome. Yahuwah does write. He does write in the register of the peoples. This one was born there. Selah. He himself writes that in the register of the peoples. This one was born there. Selah. We are illuminated by his esteem. The next three verses are cross-referenced scriptures to psalms 87 verse 5 and 6 that we just read isaiah 60 verse 1 through 3 arise shine for your light has come and the esteem of yahuwah has risen upon you for look darkness covers the earth and thick darkness the peoples but yahuwah arises over you and his esteem is seen upon you and the nations shall come to your light and sovereigns to the brightness of your rising. I think one Pentecost in our near future, I believe those verses describe what is going to happen. His esteem is going to be over our being. His esteem is going to be over our homes. That's going to be the light that attracts the nations, saying you know, they're going to be lost, confused, disoriented. And they'll come to us saying what's going on? Just like the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Revelation 21, verse 23, 24. And the city had no need of the sun nor of the moon to shine in it, for the esteem of Elohim lightened it, and the Lamb is its lamp. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in his light. And the kings of the earth bring their esteem into it. And Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4 verse 3 and I also ask you true companion help these women who labored with me in the good news with Clemence also and the rest of my fellow workers we are fellow workers we are servants whose names are in the book of life. We are seeing the message of the manna as yet another shift that must take place in our overall lives. Our control over our physical fleshly appetites should take place in a healthy way, not a crazy way, in a healthy way. And you should be guided by the Ruach HaKodesh, nobody else. I shouldn't be telling you what to do. Nobody else should be telling you what to do. Gather resources and information to do this properly, and I'll give you some additional resources later. And then let Yahuwah lead and guide you. But control over our physical appetites play a huge part in understanding this shift that each of his kingdom priests, I believe, should desire. We must daily place a higher value on our spiritual manna and our spiritual walk over those things that seduce us in this natural fallen world that are engineered to attack us mentally and physically and it's probably only going to get worse therefore we must call into submission the natural fleshly realm so that we can thrive spiritually I believe Yahweh felt that if we could master Our earthly appetites for the wrong kind of food drink and play we would be well on our way in living a covenant obedient lifestyle the message of the manna is just one of many lessons showing us to prioritize the spiritual man over the natural man our fleshly appetites should be denigrated in a healthy way and our spiritual appetite should be elevated and reign over our soul which calls our flesh into submission if you have not viewed the one new man series by torch of the tribes that matthew nolan did it's a must watch it's a must watch so uh, please be sure to look that up if you have not already viewed that the mystery is the melchizedek yahushua who holds the authority to unlock and give some of the hidden manna to overcomers in Revelation 2.17. His hidden manna is for those that overcome. Not all see and therefore cannot partake of the bread of life or drink from the fountain of living water. In John chapter six, verse 447, excuse me, through 51, we read, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me possesses everlasting life. I am the bread of life your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died this is the bread which comes down out of the heaven so that anyone might eat of it and not die I am the living bread which came down out of the heaven if anyone eats of this bread he shall live forever and indeed the bread that I give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. Yahushua is the bread of life. The manna in the wilderness was a type and shadow of the hidden manna, the bread of life to come. Yahushua is the head of the one new man, and we are the body.
1: He is the righteous king, the Malachi Zedek. Now, are we trying to emulate a shadow of the biblical reality? Is that why so many people are looking to go deeper? I mean, have we been presented with a veneer by our religious culture instead of the very substance? And that's what I believe. I believe that we have been presented a veneer and we can see the devout, the righteous saints, we can see that the veneer is cracking. We can see that the culture seeped into the church. We can see that the culture is now directing the dialogue instead of the word of Yahweh. And the veneer cracks and we're saying, we're out of here. We're going to follow Yahweh. We're not following the culture. And we're not going to follow the religious doctrine of men. It's time. And Yahweh's people are waking up all over the world to the righteous King, Yeshua, the Messiah, who saved his people to walk in covenant relationship with him. That's the call of the Tzaddik in this generation. Will we be true to that call? Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. The secret things, they belong to Yahweh. But those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever, if we will seek them out. Mishrei Proverbs, chapter 25, verse 2. It is the glory of Yahweh to conceal a thing, but it's the honor of Melachim of kings, is to search out a matter. And you and I are supposed to be a kingdom of priests. And we're supposed to search out these matters that Yahweh has hidden from the heathen. He's hit because they would trample it underfoot and desecrate it. It's like throwing your pearl before swine. Yahweh hides his mysteries because the people don't deserve it. It's only the Zadokim, the righteous, that have the heart to search it out. The masses, you look out there, they're not sheep. They're nice and white and fluffy, but they're goats, masquerading as sheep. They're not serious about the faith. Those that are serious about the faith in Yeshua will always be hated, they will always be marginalized, and they will always be kicked to the That is the test to see if you're on the narrow road. If you're comfortable, if you're embraced, and if you're sitting amongst thousands, you're most probably deceived. <laughs> because that's a broad road that leads to destruction. It's the narrow road that leads to life. And there is a rabbinic ditch on one side, and there's a lawless ditch on the other side. But the narrow road to life is covenant, royal Torah, following Melchizedek, Yeshua himself.
0: Mickey, I'm not sure if you're online or not, but this one's for you. She said one time in chat, she said, Melchizedek or bust. And I agree. It's time. It is time. Just like Matthew said in that clip. He said, it is time. I agree. It is time to flip the script back to the Melchizedek. We know there are three, three items inside the ark. We know in Exodus 25:16, and into the ark you shall put the witness which I give you. In Numbers 17:10, and Yahweh said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the witness to be kept as a sign against the rebels, so that you put an end to their grumblings against me lest they die. Thirdly, which was actually mentioned first in his word, is Exodus 16, verse 33. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and set it down before Yahuwah to keep for your generations. And I believe definitely that includes us to this very day. Those in covenant with Yahushua HaMashiach, those that understand his Melchizedek rod of rule and that he presently reigns, those that partake of a daily portion of his living manna kept for the generations, those that have become set apart to serve him as his kingdom of priests are the ones that can come before him. (laughs) His priests come before him. His Melchizedek kingdom of priests bear the ark of his covenant commands bear his rod of authority as his royal kingly ambassadors and are nourished by his living manna in this present wicked dry wilderness we must not forget that the root word used to define delium correlated to israel we know from history in his, in his word, the book of the covenant had to be rewritten on the second set of stone tablets, and that is inside the ark. We also know in Deuteronomy 31:26, take the book of this law, and you shall put it in the side of the ark of the covenant of Yahuwah, the Elohim, your Elohim, and it shall be there among you for a... Testimony. We are Israel, born from above. Israel means to overcome with El, to strive with El. We've gone over that. We don't let go of him, the living stone, until he blesses us. We just don't let go. Only the bride can enter the wedding chamber, those that guard the commands of Elohim and possess the witness of Yahushua HaMashiach. Delium. It's amazing that it came from the root word, Betelot, H914, which describes us, describes Israel, separate, something in many pieces. We're scattered abroad, set apart, setting off Israel from other peoples make a distinction between clean and unclean holy and profane the manna was set apart for the Israelites Yahusha the tree of life is our cleansing sealing and binding agent in Isaiah 53 5 but he was pierced for our transgressions He was crushed for our crookednesses. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We all, like sheep, went astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and Yahuwah has laid on him the crookedness of us all. John 19.34 But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and instantly blood and water came out. We're going to watch this little clip. A portion of it is spoken in a different language, but there is a caption if some of you can see it and read it.
2: Frankincense and myrrh are perhaps best known for their biblical connotations, but this tree sap has been prized across the world for over 6,000 years. These fragrant incense pieces come from the Burseraceae family of trees and are found across the Horn of Africa and the Arabian Peninsula. But despite recent attempts to protect these trees, they could soon be headed for extinction. So what makes frankincense and myrrh so expensive? There are roughly 550 species of Burseraceae, a collection of trees often referred to as the incense tree family, recognizable for their flaking aromatic bark and fragrant sap. But true frankincense comes from only a small fraction of those species. Frankincense is a milky white resin derived from Boswellia trees, which are remarkable for their ability to grow in unforgiving conditions. In fact, these trees have been known to grow out of solid rock. Myrrh, on the other hand, is a reddish resin extracted from comifora trees the process of extracting sap from boswellia and comifora trees is virtually identical incisions or taps are made in the bark of the tree which create injury the trees produce a gummy resin like a scab as a protection against the injury the resin then hardens into teardrop pieces more incisions are made at important intervals to continue the production of resin exudates
3: <laughs> زيادة مزيادة قصيراتنا قررنا أن توزع ذلك ده على عصير حامض تعرفين عارفين مزيادة كم أنصاري تبع من ما
2: توصل <سؤال> The resin granules collected from the trees must be separated into different grades. First grade A frankincense is clear, white, and without impurities. Smaller pieces of the same high-quality granules are separated within a sieve and classified as first grade B frankincense. The grades gradually deteriorate based on the size and the amount of impurities, such as bark infused into the resin. Low-quality frankincense is mainly sold for local market consumption. Whereas grades one, two, three, and four are exported.
0: So, Yahushua, the tree of life, the Melchizedek, his back was carved in our place, and by his stripes we are healed. We could easily say that Yahushua is the Delium the very resin flowing through the tree of life that binds us together. Yehusha is the word that binds us together. He is the glue or the gum of the living tree of life that shapes and molds us into the one new man. Let's take a listen to this clip by Matthew from Devereen. It runs about 14 minutes. Shalom,
1: everybody. It's so good to be back a couple of weeks off. People wonder where I was. I think somebody mailed in and said, "Was Matthew been arrested? <laughs> it was the last message that I gave. So, no, thankfully Matthew has not been arrested, and um, I'm blessed to be here, and truly, just to be back in the Word, and quite honestly, to be back in the body of Roshiach, Messiah, is so important to me. I truly, truly, really feel that when we're in the congregation, whether it's here or if you're joining us online, that we, in these days, need to be bound together more than anything more than anything when the world is being torn apart limb for limb and just spending a couple of weeks away from here away from um, the body just really made me feel that urge that need so today is a very simple message of binding us together turn with me to deborah in deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 1 and our portion extends through to chapter 3 verse 22 simply words, words. There are so many words going out today, so many different teachings, so many different slants on teachings, that even for those of us that love to be in the Word, it can be days for some, some weeks before they actually pick up the text or the Scriptures and thumb through it like you used to. Because maybe you're getting all of your teachings online, or you're reading them off of your device. Or you may even be reading um, your scriptures off of your device. But to me, there's nothing like picking up a book. There's nothing like, whenever I have the opportunity to read, I would rather pay the money and get the book than read off of my device, off of my screen. Whenever I have the opportunity, which is daily, to read the Word, of course. I would much rather read the text in my hand, my scriptures. There are so many different words out there today, and really I want to bring us back to the simplicity of the word. As we are in this Torah Pasha Devereem, Yeshua is what binds us together. Yeshua is what binds us together. The simplicity, but the profundity of it. The profundity of that statement is amazing and the simplicity all in one. This week's Torah Pasha begins. It is really et Mishnah ha Torah in the Hebrew. It is a copy or a repetition of the Torah and is known as Mishnah Torah or the second Torah. So, if you're going to be reading any Mishnah, then let it be the Mishnah Torah, the repetition of the Torah, Deuteronomy. That's the only Mishnah Torah that you should be reading. Because otherwise you're just, again, distracted by another word. And more teachings that are leading you outside of the word. So this is Moshe Rabbeinu's farewell speech to a new generation. Moshe, Caleb, and Yahoshua. Under Yahoshua, Joshua's leadership. It's really... The reader's digest of everything that's gone before because within this text you're going to get the reader's digest version of what has gone before in bereshit what has gone before more as they've actually been in the book of Shemoth, exodus and the book of numbers it's the book of ethics it's the ultimate book of ethical guidance throughout the generations it's not something shelved off for a past generation but it moves forward and gives us life application today Devarim it can also mean Torah's mouth Torah's mouth because it's a summarizing a summarizing of all that has gone before but not the all that has gone before that should be shelved but all that has gone before within the main body and this is where As the people, Devereem, we see that Yahweh wants to summarize in our bodies all that has gone before. And that's why Rav Sholiak Shaul, Rabbi Apostle Paul to the Corinthians in the 10th chapter, he admonishes them what? To be aware of what happened to the preceding generations in their body so that it does not happen in the Corinthian body. And the Corinthian body was a, a body that was very susceptible to the carnality of the world. And are we a body today that is susceptible to the carnality of the world? I mean, let's not be prudish and priggish and say, oh, no, we're not. We're holier than that. I mean, come on, with all the technology, with all the infiltration into our mind, into our ears, and into our eyes, we have to be like Job and make a covenant with our eyes, do we not? I mean, we truly do. I mean, if you aren't making a covenant with your eyes, then I don't know what. When I go to Nordstrom's to buy socks, I have to make a covenant with my eyes as I walk past Victoria's Secret. I'm being honest with you. I mean, you, if you're not doing that, then you're going to fall into what? Sin. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the Years, all of those things. So we live in a day, just like the Corinthians, when there is carnality all around us, and Yahweh is calling His body into what kedusha, holiness, purity of thought, mind, action, word, and deed. So we can see now that as Yahweh spoke through the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, to watch out for their body of believers, their own body and the body of believers, that today we have to likewise be just as much as God. We can look at this agriculturally, because of course, throughout the scripture, we have the agricultural parables throughout the scripture. And in the Hebrew, another word will be suftabah. Suftabah, meaning the last words, because these are in fact Moshe's last words. It's a farewell discourse. It's a goodbye letter. A farewell discourse. And it has a, including a song. A song to Israel within it. And agriculturally it means to point back to a food source. To point back to an original food source. And also to point back to the head of the house. That's all within the very opening title of the book, Deuteronomy is how I used to say it when I was in the church, Deuteronomy. It was so much easier when I got into the Hebrew, Devarim. I can do that. And I have since learned that it's actually not Deuteronomy, but Deuteronomy. No, that's not even right. I've always had trouble saying it. Because this actually title came to be known to the Hellenized Jews and it was called Deuteronomium. Deuteronomium or the second law. Deuteronomium, the second law. And the Latin Vulgate, it was Deuteronomium. And then when it came across to the King Jimmy, we have Deuteronomy. Can somebody say it? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. There you go. See, I just have to hear it. Deuteronomy. Deborahine. See, I sound smarter when I say dead anyway. And then really when I say, help me say it, Deuteronomy, then you really know. So I don't know what I'm talking about. Sof the bar! What really then are the last words? Well we know what the last words are, don't we? Let us hear the Fear Elohim and keep his mitzvah, for this is the entire duty of all mankind. For Elohim shall bring every word into mishpat, judgment, and with every secret thing, whether it is tov, good, or whether it is evil. The simplicity of the word of Yahweh is encapsulated for us in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. We have to fear Yahweh. And if we fear Yahweh, we will strive and be driven to want to keep His commandments in our families and in our generations. We can see that Devarim, in the beginning, was the Word. We know this from on John chapter 1. And we're talking about the Word, and Yeshua is that Word that truly binds and holds us together. And we know in, in the Hebrew community that it's Yeshua not the Alpha and the Omega, but none other than the Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph Bet, and the last letter of it, the Hebrew Aleph Bet, the Tav. That Aleph Tav that truly binds us all together. This is a simple message because truly I feel the need in this crazy world that we live in just to put aside all the talking heads, put aside all of the the, the outer sourcing so and get back to the simplicity of what this is, because Yeshua said to the disciples, he said this, Lo, in the volume of the scroll, it is written of me. In this scroll, the whole volume, is it? It's all about Yeshua. And he reasoned in the Scriptures, showing himself beginning at Moses and the prophets. For you don't believe Moses' words, then how will you believe my words? For Moses wrote about me, I and the Abba are one. And we know that when Rav Shaliyak Shul, when Paul spoke to those in the nations, he spoke to them in the Hebrew tongue. So when we talk about Yeshua, we have to find him from the very beginning of the word throughout the writings of Moses, throughout the prophets, and ultimately will come to draw near to him in the very end, that final generation, the book of Revelation, that fifth gospel written to the final generation, which I believe that we are the people that really must be bound together more than any generations that's preceded us on this planet. And that's the biggest lack within all of the intellect, with all of the logic and reason within the faith community. Oh yeah, we can get smart. Some of you can pronounce Deuteronomy and others of you can't. But that isn't it, it's about being bound together. That's what we lack more than anything. Not the smarts, not the intellect, the logic, and the reason which fails you, but the faith of the congregation that binds us together when we fail. Because we're all going to fail. Ultimately, in life, we will be victorious, but there will be failing shortcomings. In Kephah Beth, 2 Peter 3, verse 5, it is written, By the word of Eloah, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water, and in the water. We can see that Yeshua is truly with us from the very beginning. The very beginning, the very beginning, the very living water. In Revelation 22 verse 13, it would say, I am the Alpha and the Omega course, the translation from the Greek, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That would be the transliteration. But really, if we were to read that in the Hebrew, it would be Anochi aleph ni rishon ron rosh Vasto. But you can hear within that text that he is the aleph and the and the Jewish rabbi be you, that the olive tar actually represents completion and perfection. And that's what Yeshua is. He represents completion and perfection in our faith walk. So even though you may have those failings and those shortcomings, we have to find us together is the completion and perfection in our faith walk. Because many of you have trauma. Many of you have trauma in your life because of things that have happened to you in your relationships, in your past. But to get through those traumas, to get through those hurts and those pains, we have to understand and be confident of what is literally the building blocks of our DNA, which is what? Perfection and completion is already within you when you are in your shoes. Now what better building block is that in your life? Seriously, because I need the confidence and the hope that there is something greater in me than myself so that I can have the ability to overcome everything that is before me and that is going to be thrust upon me by this wicked, evil, and sick of the first generation because I'm not going to white knuckle it through the days ahead. I cannot. And we cannot. That's the difference between us and the world. It has to be. What? The perfection and the completion that is within us.
0: As his kingdom of priests, we must first tame that fleshly enemy within us. In Ezekiel 16, verse 49, behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Philippians chapter 3, 17 through 21. Become joint imitators of me, this is Paul speaking, brothers, and look at those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many of whom I have often told you, and now say to you, even weeping, walk as enemies of the stake of of Messiah. So he was telling them, For many of whom I have often told you, and now say to you, even weeping, they walk as enemies of the stake of Messiah. Their end is destruction, their mighty one is their stomach, and their esteem is in their shame. They mind the earthly, for our citizenship is in the heavens from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Master Yahushua Mashiach, who shall change our lowly body body, to be conformed to his esteemed body according to the working by which he is able even to bring all under his control. Proverbs 23, 1-3, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, Look well what is before you, and put a knife to your throat. If you are a man given to appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. Do we not have deceptive food these days? Yes, yes we do. Proverbs 28, 7, He, was, he who watches over the Torah is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Romans 13, 12 through 14. The night is far advanced. The day has come near. So let us put off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk becomingly as in the day, not in wild parties and drunkenness, not in living together in indecencies, not in fighting and envy, but put on the Master, Yehusha HaMashiach, and make no provision for the lust of the flesh. Now, one of our sisters in Canada, Cynthia, shared this song with me. I just think it's great. And I wanted to share it with all of you. Some of you probably already know it. And I know it blessed me. I pray it blesses you. And if you want to stand and stretch your legs, sing along and praise Him, please do so. this session is about us being his priest and again it is time to flip the script back to the Melchizedek because there are many other people that have flipped the script back in the other direction and we hold the true covenant confirming gospel message we have been taught how to rightly divide his word of truth for a reason and it's a powerful reason Hebrews 7, 11, and 12, Truly then, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people were given the Torah, why was there still need for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, it clearly states, of necessity there takes place a change of law also. Joseph's bones, in Exodus 12:37, And the children of Israel set out from Ramesses to Sukkot, about 600,000 men on foot besides the little ones. Verse 19, And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he certainly made the children of Israel swear, saying, Elohim shall certainly visit you, and you shall bring my bones from here with you. And they departed from Sukkot and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. In Joshua 24:32, and the bones of Joseph which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt they buried at Shechem which means shoulder in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor the father of Shechem for 100 casita and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph About 25 miles out of Ramesses, the children of Israel camped at Sukkot and made a point to retrieve the bones of Joseph. When we first come out of Egypt, we are nothing but dry and brittle bones. And the only one that can restore life in Israel's dry bones is Yahuwah, the tree of life. Our lives depend solely on him and him alone. He is our all in all. He is the vine. We are the branches. His blood and his living water keep us alive. Ezekiel was asked, can these dry bones live? They can only live by being immersed in the living water, Yehusha. Look around, we are a remnant of the remnant of those dry bones gathered for Sukkot that have come to life, and life more abundantly. We would have remained dry and brittle if Yahuwah had not lifted the veil on all the hidden pearls of manna we have mentioned and many, many more. Though we all appreciate our humble beginnings, man-made religions just sprinkled us with water, And left us dry, hungering and thirsting for more. So, when I was a little girl, we went to a Methodist church and we got sprinkled as a baby. Mother said that was our baptism. She said, You've been sprinkled, you've been baptized, you believe in Jesus, you're good to go. Go out and live that was our theology that definitely ends in a shipwreck but when people just bring babies forward if they call it baptism some just call it baby dedication that's a little bit different but um If they are brought forward and they're just sprinkled I guess this doesn't work but we're just going to sprinkle this dry bone it quickly quickly dries out again dry bones in essence it stays dry bones and there's no life there's no life right now in the churches they have mixed so much doctrine And they're hungering and thirsting for more, just like we were. And Yahuwah asked Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? Well, thankfully, Yahuwah led us to living water. He led us to torture the tribes. And he brought this mixed-up kid from England over to the United States to teach us mixed-up kids how to rightly divide his word of truth and boy was him and his wife and probably his whole family attacked for truth because satan doesn't want the truth out there but we have received it and hallelujah for that after we were sprinkled the next phase many of us went into was Floating on top of Greasy Grace. We just floated around. And we just thought we could go to church on Sunday. And many lived like the devil and came back the next Sunday and just thought, I'm okay. I'm under His grace. Whereas Matthew has taught us, though, when when the church members believe that today, they're actually under his mercy. Now, I know people in the traditional church truly believe in Jesus as we all knew him then. But at the same time, they had a responsibility to read and learn how to rightly divide his word of truth, just like we did. But, but we just took for granted that what we were being told from the pulpit was truth, and it was not. But thankfully now we do know the truth now we know we are to be immersed in his word fully immersed and we take this very seriously and when we are baptized we are baptized in living water and we are mikvahed forward not backward. All of those things were extremely important to me. And like most of you, we went back through the the mikvah baptism process just to get it right. We regretted getting it wrong in the first place, but praise Yah for His mercy and His loving commitment to us. He has given us his living water along with our daily bread, spiritually and in the natural. You know, when you think about it, do we really believe Yahushua ate three meals a day and ate snacks in between? Probably not. He showed us that accomplishing the Father's desires should outweigh our physical feasting as we intermittently practice a lifestyle of fasting and prayer as he did. He set the example. We know that fasting doesn't even always include food. We may fast from digital devices or some type of sports or caffeine, etc. Being devoted to purity, prayer, and fasting energizes us physically and spiritually. Hallelujah. And with diligent obedience to his covenant, we can avoid lifestyle diseases of the Egyptians. Because today, most of the diseases... Are based on lifestyle. Yep. Yep. And for a while, you think you're getting away with it. You know? <laughs> Carol Ann, my sister, got hit when she was in her mid 40s. Boom. Out of nowhere. And thankfully, Yahweh has healed her. Now we are immersed with Him in living water. Ephesians 5.26, in order to to set it apart and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. We are soon approaching some very important events, the selection and sealing of the 144,000, the giving of prophecy to the two witnesses and the marriage supper of the Lamb. We must be of sound mind. We must leave worldly carnality. We must leave lukewarm double-mindedness. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. There are not numerous ways to him. There is only one way, the righteous narrow way. And Yahweh focuses on the righteous. Remember, he asked, are there any trees in the land? Meaning, are there any righteous in the land? Revelation 19:7 through 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him praise, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife prepared herself. And to her it was given to be dressed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the set-apart ones. And he said to me, Right, blessed are those who have been called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of Elohim. Excuse me, of Elohim. So Yehusha wants us to be washed in his word, be washed by the blood of the Lamb, be immersed in him. We must be all in. We cannot be half and half. That would be lukewarm mixture and such he will spew or vomit out of his mouth. He would rather us be hot or cold rather than live in a half and half state. He'd rather us be a pile of dry dry bones or be fully immersed in him, fully set apart in him. We cannot forget all that he's done for us. We must be willing to diligently, he says diligently, to diligently obey his word. Take in his heavenly sustenance and be honest with ourselves by working out our own salvation with fear, meaning reverence, and trembling. As his kingdom of priests, he is shaping us and molding us into the one new man through his Shabbats and feasts. His Ruach has positioned us and gathered us geographically to be here with Torah to the tribes. He gave his all and so should we. He presently is positioning us geographically and functionally for service in these ended days. Only in him are there not Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave nor free. We are his priests, fellow servants, his royal kingly ambassadors, and we each have separate functions, such as shepherding, teaching, protecting, edifying, administering. He is the manna from heaven, and we function as his kingdom of priests and not like the Nicolaitan hierarchical structure of lording over congregants with highbrow titles and long flowing robes. Paul's closing word to his beloved Titus. Oh, Paul, he was so awesome. He said, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, not to slander anyone, not to be quarrelsome, to be gentle, showing all meekness to all men, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, led astray, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in evil and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of Elohim our Savior toward man appeared, he saved us not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his compassion, through the washing of rebirth and and renewal by the set-apart spirit, which he poured out on us richly through Yahushua HaMashiach, our Savior, that having been declared right by his favor, we should become heirs according to the expectation of everlasting life. Trustworthy is the word, and in this regard, I wish you to strongly affirm that those who have believed in Elohim should keep their minds On maintaining good works, this is good and profitable to men. But keep away from foolish questions and genealogies and strife and quarrels about the Torah, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject the divisive man after the first and second warning, knowing that such a one has been perverted and sins being self-condemned. So, Titus had a Greek-Gentile background and was converted to being a follower of Yehusha after the order of Melchizedek. He was one of Paul's most trustworthy companions in Paul's inner circle. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 8.23, As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for you. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the assemblies, the esteem of Messiah. We are fishers of men. We must be physically and spiritually disciplined. We must detox phys- physically and spiritually. We must be tuned into His Ruach Kakadesh to be ready to act when given divine appointments. We must step out in faith and practice what we preach and set the example for others. We must not be religious repellents, but attract those hungry and thirsting for righteousness. To be a good fisherman, you must be disciplined, you must be knowledgeable of fishing, knowing the who, what, when, why, where, and how much, and must be willing to practice or rehearse your skills to be an example for others. I love learning new skills. I learned fly fishing before I came out here, you know? Just start looking at those YouTube videos and just figure it out. You know, I I just do. I just do. I'm not one to sit around. But what we must also be aware of is that after he sends us the fishermen, he will send the hunters. Jeremiah 16, 16. See, I am sending for many fishermen, declares Yahuwah And they shall fish them and after that I shall send for many hunters and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rocks this is our present-day Egypt you see Torah to the tribes already located there on the map and through that ministry that Matthew and Tamara began along with their family, has reached all across the seven continents. And we are growing each and every day. And we should continue to grow, we should continue to set our goals. And, and fast and pray and ask Yahuwah what he would have us do in these ended days. So this whole world is our fishing hole. I believe Yahuwah has done a great work among us. There are few fellowships that have learned the true Melchizedek covenant confirming gospel message. They throw around the, the name Melchizedek but they never, if you listen to them, it never seems like they truly understand the true message. When Yahushua gathers his two witnesses in the 144,000, would it not be reasonable that he would choose the righteous walking in covenant Torah? Wouldn't he reasonably choose from obedient, from those obedient to his greater priestly order? I believe so and scripture backs this up but it takes more than just proclaiming we are walking in covenant Torah we should bear fruit in our our obedience to covenant Torah and we must rule over our flesh by having our souls submitted to the Spirit we don't measure one another as male or female Jew or Gentile slave or free we measure one another by the fruit we bear through our actions, through our words, through our deeds. In Jeremiah 5.1, Diligently search the streets of Jerusalem, and please look and know and seek in her open places if you find a man. If there is anyone, anyone doing right ruling, seeking the truth, then I shall pardon her. That's the power of a righteous man being present John chapter 4 23 24 but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father also does seek such to worship him Elohim is spirit and those who worship him need to worship in spirit and truth Yahweh always seeks the righteous Yahusha is the word that binds us together, the resin, the gum that draws all into one, as so stated in the definition. We, as the twelve tribes scattered abroad, are the, are just like those delium pearls. We are in many scattered pieces. Our trials and tribulations refine us. We are set apart, just like the manna was set apart to the Israelites. Heat would transform its solid consistency into a consistency that could be shaped, molded, and pressed into cakes, just as we, having gone through the refiner's fire, have been pressed and molded into the one new man. Eating the wrong foods and eating too often may lead to metabolic inflexibility and I believe that's what I suffered from because I always had such a tremendously hard time trying to fast and sometimes it can even lead to metabolic syndrome. Let's take a listen.
4: Another group of patients, they come in the 80% that you're to have metabolic syndrome. So for the, for the sake of the audience, I'm just going to tell you why I'm metabolic syndrome. Oh, exactly. This is a, a derangement of your metabolism. And basically, it means that you're, you're overweight, your body mass index is greater than 25, um, and you have uh, an increased abdominal girth. All the weight is around the belly. And there's actually a ratio that you can do between the waist and the belly. Belly is increased. And then the HDL, the cholesterol, is low. The triglycerides are high. And um, they have borderline high blood pressure. Now, when you look at all these numbers, what's the common theme that comes to mind from everything I've already said? Is insulin. It's all about it. Insulin lowers your HDL, increases your triglycerides. Increases your abdominal growth because all the fat is down there. Remember what insulin does? Insulin puts all your calories, excess calories and frequent calories, and because of the high insulin levels, puts it where? Into the liver, pancreas, and visceral gut. And that fat is totally different from the fat that you put on all over your body when you overeat. When I overeat, just eating a lot of fats and... Okay, that's different. The fats that are produced under the influence of insulin by the liver, Novo lipogenesis, the new fats that are created, the glucose has to be converted into a storage product. The storage product is that fat. That fat in the liver gets deposited in the liver, pancreas, visceral gut is very inflammatory. Its composition is totally different. You do a biopsy of it, you'll find inflammatory cells in it that are producing tons and tons of interleukin 6, tumor necrosis, bad stuff so metabolic syndrome although you have these basic features when you do additional biochemistry on them you will find that they have increased crp level which is a test for inflammation and if you can do even further testing you will find that they have very high interleukin 6 or tumor necrosis factors and they have small dense ldl particles indicative of inflammation so these patients come into the office for prevention or they sent to me because they have a low hdl and and, and these are the patients that also do the, 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 the fasting program. So some patients are motivated to go into my fasting program and lose the weight that way. Because you see the weight, by the way, I can't tell you The weight is a side effect of the metabolism that's gone wrong. Yeah. You fix the metabolism, the weight comes down as a side effect. Yeah. It's not really a weight loss program. It's a metabolic program in which one of the side effects is that your weight comes back down to the way it's supposed to be come back to where you're supposed to be. So um, so these patients come in and, and, and they get the blood pressure. So I almost invariably do a coronary calcium score on them. But even if the coronary calcium score is not very high, the metabolic derangements are going to make coronary calcium in the future, yeah. and I motivate these patients to start making the lifestyle changes by showing them that their metabolism off. Now, these metabolic tests are not being offered by every doctor's office, and, and nobody, because it takes a lot of effort, yeah. and the insurance yeah. companies sometimes don't want to pay for it, like they advanced the advanced lipid panel. Um, sometimes they pay for it, sometimes they don't. So, what I did in my office is I developed a program where it's a cash thing. If the insurance doesn't pay for it, okay, this is how much it's going to cost you. But get the test done. It's a good investment, and I have to show them that, yeah. It's, yeah. that it's going to change their life. Yeah. So, but you're absolutely right that this metabolic derangement is it's not eighty percent. It's probably more than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it's very because I'm seeing it in children. I mean, I just the other day I saw a mother bringing in her sixteen-year-old, <laughs> you know, and as a new. I'm not a pediatric
5: cardiologist, but there you go. Um, she had all the derangements already at the age of 16. You know. Yeah, this, this, yes. is, this is so, it's so fascinating. And I think, you know, I, I think I've read a study where they're saying nowadays atherosclerosis starts in some children, even under the age of 10, I believe you can see in some kids, which is, you know, you know, clearly no one wants to be hearing that. No parent wants that for their child. We don't we want that across society. What I find really interesting is the, the different groups of patients who come in to see you, you know, the probably ones who've already got established heart disease, and obviously, hopefully a lot of them will be motivated to go, okay, doc, tell me what to do and I'll do it. But you've also got some who are probably coming in for prevention. You know, what's the state of my heart? What's the state of my blood? You know, is there anything I need to do? And the approach I can see is, is very similar. But you also, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of encouraging them to go all out and cut out all of the uh, highly processed foods. You know, you're saying all breads, all pastas, which for ma- which for many people is very difficult. Now, some people in the UK at least would call that quite extreme. Okay. Um, now, I also have used that approach successfully with my patients, so I can I've absolutely seen the value of that. But I think. It's worth talking about that. Does everyone need to go to that extreme? And I know a lot of breads these days are highly processed. They've got about 10, 15 different ingredients in. They have a high glycemic in it, say, spike our blood sugar. Whereas I know some of the kind of German breads, uh, like the rye bread sometimes, and some of the, uh, like the, in the UK at least, the square-shaped German breads often can have a much lower uh, sugar response. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is All patients presumably say, look, I'm going to try it, but they can't do the whole thing the way you would ideally want them to. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, are there some common obstacles? Are there some sort of common compromises you have to make with people when they can't go the whole way?
4: No, no. you're absolutely right. I mean, you grew grew up on toast and and white bread, and it's going to be very hard to do. So it just depends on on their status. They come purely for prevention, they're not overweight, but they do have some family history, it might be difficult for me to convince them that I need to cut out all the, all, all the bread, but clearly they're overweight, you know, it's, it's basically convincing the patient, look, you're overweight. You, you have metabolic disease. Uh, I can see some parameters. you on the blood tests. Uh, or you already have chronic calcium in your arteries. And then explain to them the consequences of that. That is not just that you're going to get a heart attack. You're also at risk of getting dementia. when you go over? You're going to get proof of asthma disease. You're going to get renal failure. Such a big link between kidney disease and heart disease. I said, so take your people. What, what, what do you want? What do you want? And cancers. Obesity is also related to cancer. So sitting down, and between myself and my staff explain to the patients that listen. This is not just about about your heart. This is also about your whole life. This is a Oh, really, a holistic approach, this is, this is going to affect everything, this is going to affect the way you're going to retire and what your retirement is going to be like and are you going to be aware of your own retirement and gonna think. Um, because Alzheimer's is going on, we have a huge increase in the amount of dementia going on there. and I'm one of those who believes that much of that is also vascular, it's all vascular. I think everything you guys own is your arteries. You know. Um, uh, so, so what's your arterial age, let, let, let's look at that. Uh, so I think that making these dietary changes and cutting up the bread, uh, yes, you're absolutely right, it's a difficult one to sell, uh, but at least even if they cut down pump or move or, to pampanical bread, or even sourdough bread is better, because at least it has some, some benefit on the microbiome, but at least make some compromises, and start, start, at least do something. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I think that that's the that, that, that's key thing is motivating the patient to think more long-term also and not just in coronary artery disease. Everything that I tell the patient to do for their heart, I tell them straight up front, this is going to keep your eyesight, this is going to keep you from getting dementia, the renal disease, this is going to help you from hopefully also decrease your risk of cancer, joint disease, back problems, and name it. It it, it really has so many ramifications. So yeah, Uh, again, it comes down to what we said right in the beginning of this talk, and we have to motivate the patient. I need to get into your brain, make a change in you, so that you know that this is the right thing to do, and then it resonates with you. Yes, this is right, and then see the practical results of it. And it's a slow process, a gradual process, but you know, we've, we've done this and yeah. uh, we've gotten patients off blood pressure medication, got them off insulin. You, you know, the biggest achievements I've had in the last uh, few years now is getting patients off insulin. And it makes me feel so good that I do that. And all through this program, they come in and they're already taking 25
5: minutes of insulin twice a day, and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, now they're on nothing. And the A1Cs are so good. Yeah. You, you love it, and I bet the patients I love it as well, don't they?
4: Oh, gosh, coming off insulin, coming off preparation medications, yeah, uh, yeah. coming off cholesterol medication. Do you know how many patients walk into my office and, and, and have tons of statins? And, and I do a coronary study on them, and the score is zero. Score is zero. They have no coronary calcium, and they're taking all these statins, and, and they're hobbling around with all these muscle aches and pains, and I'll just stop the statin. So that's another thing, you know, empowering patients to know that, you know. There's no one treatment for all that. Yes, your cholesterol level is a little high and therefore you have to be on the stat. I try to individualize the treatment yeah. of the patients based on, on, on what's doing to your body. You know, you have, you have a decent advanced lipid panel and we uh, can make some dietary changes here so that you don't get any more coronary calcium
0: but you don't have to be on a statin.
4: Empowering the patients yeah. to do that as well. Yeah.
0: And we have the mind of Yahusha to lead and guide us. We have the Ruach Kakadesh. And Yahuwah always wanted the very best for us. And that's why he advocated fasting and prayer and understanding clean and unclean foods. How we care for and how we carry his ark within us, his Ruach kakadesh matters. And... In 2 Samuel 6, 1 through 15, that's the account of when the ark was brought to Jerusalem and how when they moved the ark, it was done inappropriately and Uzzah died. So in verse 7, the proper way to transport the ark of the covenant was not followed. and resulted in the death of Uzzah. Yeah, even us, when we're not obedient to his covenant commands, that can result in our death. The proper way to transport the ark of Elohim had been recorded within the book of the law at that time because they were under the book of the law. This was how the book of the law functioned. Obedience brought blessings. Disobedience brought curses and or death. Yahuwah was not to blame. Yahuwah was not to blame Poor adherence to his word was a culprit. In verse 8, and David was displeased because Yahuwah had broken out against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzza until this day. In verse 9, and David was afraid of Yahuwah on that day and said, how shall, how shall the ark of Yahuwah come to me? Maybe we should ask Yahuwah if we are bearing his ark correctly. As his priest, that's our duty to bear his ark, his covenant commands. In verse 12, it talked about it, and it was reported to King David saying, Yahuwah has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he has because of the Ark of Elohim. David then went and brought the, brought up the Ark of Elohim from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. After the Ark remains three months of the house of Obed-Edom, David decides to bring the Ark of Yahweh up to the city of David. Again, there's rejoicing. But this time, with reverence to Yahuwah, we really have to keep get our head wrapped around that is Ruach HaKodesh indwells us. In verse 14, and David danced before Yahweh with all his might. And David was wearing what? He was wearing a linen shoulder garment. Notice that David wore priestly attire and did priestly functions. He was of the righteous lineage of the Melchizedek order, both kingly and priestly, though at this time in history the Melchizedek order ran parallel to the Aaronic Levitical order in a denigrated position. In verse 15, thus David and all the house of Israel brought up the Ark of Yahweh with shouting and with the voice of a shofar, What a wonderful and memorable day. Can you imagine the joy among all the people? Things were turning up. David was king over all Israel, and the ark was among the people. His presence is always encircled by his kingdom of priests. So we continue with medical views, validating Yahuwah's biblical truths. These medical physicians are bringing the self-evidence to the table for us to comprehend, to understand. But basically, Yahweh always told us what we needed to do. And in our Moedim gatherings, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11:20 20 through 22, so when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Master's Supper, For when you eat, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the assembly of Elohim and shame those who have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise. His kingdom of priests, we should set the example. Someone's always watching us. We were his chosen people in Deuteronomy 7, 14, and 15. Blessed are you above all peoples, there is not going to be a barren man or a barren woman among you or among your livestock. And Yahweh shall turn away from you all sickness and put on you none of the evil diseases of Mitzrayim, which you have known, but he shall put them on all those who hate you. So we can bring dishonor, rebellion, and iniquity to our temple by what, when, why, where, and how much we eat and drink. And isn't that what we recall Adam and Eve's pot, where their pocket of chaos began by eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We can experience pockets of chaos also, without in our outward environment and also within. You know, when we were going through our detox process, I was starting to wonder, maybe I had a pocket of chaos going on because that detox was pretty rough. But it wasn't like that all, every day. So lifestyle illnesses stem from personal choices we make and can lead to all those things he mentioned. High blood pressure, diabetes, thyroid issues, atherosclerosis, metabolic syndrome, and heart disease. For those in his Melchizedek Priesthood, fasting and prayer should be part of our lifestyle which resets, it resets us because we're so fearfully and wonderfully made, resets us in the natural and in the spiritual. We must be honest with ourselves when wanting to justify dabbling in processed foods or overeating or eating too much sugars or drinking too much cola or alcohol because sugar is not a food and cancer thrives on sugar. Yet this world introduces one-year-olds to sugary, fat smash cakes, and this month, children worldwide will be pumped full of Halloween candy. I'm not advocating becoming legalistic, but we should keep it kosher and make wise choices.
4: Yeah, 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 no, absolutely, absolutely, you know, what fasting does, it allows the body to do what it was made to do. You see, we eat, eat, eat,
3: insulin comes in, puts everything into storage, so you build up some fat. And then you're supposed
4: to live. So when you live, you now start utilizing your calories and, and you start burning the sugar. When that goes out, after maybe about four hours or five hours, then the, your know, glycogen stores in your liver and your muscles start breaking down, start giving you the calories that you really need to burn, to so can run, do your day-to-day activities and all that. And when you run out of that, by let's say about 18 hours or 20 hours, and then the body says, Hmm, I need to start burning fat now. That's what you're supposed to do. That's why you put on fat in the first place. That's why we have fat. It's a storage. And then you start burning that fat, and therefore you start burning that fat, so the fat comes out, comes into your liver, gets converted to some ketones perhaps, and now you're making ketones, and the ketones are being utilized for energy, and then, then you go for your next meal again. So the body was made to do this. It was not made to just pile on, pile on, pile on all the time, because that, that results in increased fat stores which you never break down. So your body was supposed to do this. From the, from, the, from the design, you're supposed to do this. So the important thing is that when you eat and you're taking calories, your insulin level obviously goes up. Why? Because insulin has to get that sugar out of the bloodstream. It's- blood sugar must always come down,
0: because otherwise you get damaged from that high glucose level in
4: your bloodstream. That's why we treat diabetes, right? Because the blood sugar, or the glucose rather, attaches itself to proteins, okay, glycation end products, and therefore these proteins become they become dysfunctional. So insulin says, I want to take the glucose up, put it down into the, blood, uh, into the storage. First place it puts it into, it is the liver. When the liver stores are full then it spills over into the pancreas more calories coming more glucose then it goes into the muscles and it stores everything from there into the skin and that's the way it was supposed to be but now when we continue to do that you just keep piling it on piling it on We never get the chance to burn it down and we're supposed to burn it down so the biochemistry of the body was made for feeding fasting cycles and this was the way the, the, uh, the, the bioengineering of our body was, but we became dysfunctional, because as food became more available, we just kept piling it on and on and on and on. And that's the problem that we have today, it is exactly what you said, excessive calories too frequently. So our insulin levels stay high all the time. So that's the biggest problem I found as a cardiologist. you eating all the time, you're stimulating your insulin all the time, the insulin stays high, stays high, never gets a chance to come down. And because your insulin doesn't come back down again, you're always in a storage mode. Yeah. This high insulin is the problem we've hormonally changed. Because we're eating too frequently. We're not designed to eat that frequently. Insulin's supposed to go up and come back down again. Up and back down. We stay up all the time so your body develops, in a simple term, insulin resistance. Now, the next time you eat, you need even more insulin because it's like wearing a jacket. You first feel it, then you don't feel it. The body, when it has high levels of insulin all the time, it becomes insensitive. to And that's what's happening. We are a hormonally modified human being now. We're becoming insulin resistant. And this insulin resistance results in higher and higher insulin levels, and that's the problem I found. And I just want to digress a little bit. I'll tell you how I came to this. In my practice, What is happening is, patients are coming in with heart attacks and hardening of the arteries and angina, and I said, okay, there must be a cause, and I looked for it. And the cholesterol, most of the time, was okay. Blood pressure was okay. They were not diabetic, and then I see all this hardening of the arteries, and I'm wondering why. So about. Oh, 15 years ago, I, I started doing sugar tests on them, and I found that they actually had mild diabetes, what we call glucose intolerance, or impaired glucose, fasting glucose. So the sugars were just slightly high, but not enough to make them a diabetic. So I said, okay, fine. So I should put these patients on something to sensitize them and make them better. And I put them on metformin, and I got a lot of resistance from a lot of physicians in the community, plus patients. Uh, but the outcomes were better.
5: They, they actually did better. Then, I started doing insulin testing in my office. And
4: I started doing this when I read uh, some information from um, uh, for, from a, a physician uh, who wrote a book on, on, on insulin, and he got craft. so it's yeah. called the craft yeah. test. So now, what we do is we give them sugar water, patients, and we measure the air, they shoot the sugar levels of it up and went down again, and said, okay, it went up a little bit, not too bad. But I looked at the insulin response, and it was massive in these patients. 100 and I saw that they were making so much insulin. I said, this is ridiculous. Why are you making so much insulin? Well, that insulin resistance. And then I linked to the fact that it's the high insulin level that's actually causing the hardening of the arteries. Because <laughs> sugar levels are okay. Of course, what happens is over time, it's taking a gallon of insulin to bring your sugar levels under control. Eventually, even that's not enough. Yeah. So then the sugar level goes up. And then they go to a doctor and say, oh, your sugar levels are high, or your hemoglobin A1C level is high. Now you are a diabetic. well, guess what, it's too late. You already have all the hardening of the artery have done so much damage to the artery, you probably did it for 15 to 20 years. And that's the discovery, and that's what really motivated me to make these changes in my patients to say that, look, you know, i got to get that insulin level down. And it is that high insulin level that really motivated me to really do the fasting program because I said, okay, how am I going to get insulin levels down? How do I do that? I don't know a right? So that's what, look, the whole thing comes down to insulin. For me, it was. Now, as things happen, I discovered more and more fun things that in this fantastic journey. But the bottom line is, it was the high insulin levels that really got me into this because I found that when I brought the insulin levels down, my coronary artery disease, atherosclerosis just went down. The patients did so much better. And that high insulin level, the only thing I know that really helps to bring that insulin level down, besides metformin and a few other drugs, really is fasting. Yeah. Because then you don't eat. Guess what? You don't make insulin. That's it. You're yeah. the yeah. mm-hmm. And then the next time you eat, you make insulin but a month later. Because you're not sensitive. So this fasting, I got into it this way not because I I just wanted to make them reduce weight not yeah. because I just want to reduce blood pressure. It was really the insulin that got me into fast. Then of course I discovered as time went on that oh my God, blood pressures were coming down and I realized that insulin is a of stricter, it reduces nitric oxide in your blood vessels so that your blood vessels can't dilate. Now that brings me to hypertension. That I said oh my god I was taught and you were taught that 95% of hypertension is essential. And this very word, essential, there's nothing essential about hypertension. You don't name it.
5: So, should I should we, should, we, should we explain to non-medical listeners what, what does that term essential mean? When we say essential hypertension, what do we mean by that? We means we don't know the
4: cause. I mean, it's idiopath, is not the word uh, which means we don't really know clearly what the cause is. It's just something that just happens. So this essential hypertension is not really essential, you do really it. And I <coughs> found through my own experiences here that the fasting brought the blood pressures down. And I said, okay, so what's the correlation? It's insulin. So
3: Start reading more about insulin, and sure enough, when you give patients an insulin shot, the blood pressure goes up. Yeah, we yeah.
4: take them off insulin, the blood pressures come down. Insulin causes nitric oxide in the blood vessels. Nitric oxide, by way, is a vasodilate. Yeah. Nitric oxide is a natural endogenous product that makes your blood vessels dilate. And then when nitric oxide goes down, you vasoconstrict. This is a dynamic state that you're supposed to have. You walk into a cold room, you vasoconstrict, uh, that means your blood vessels. Go down when you go into a hot room, you vasodilate. That's a normal response. This nitric oxide is most essential in our body, it is so important for blood vessels that, in fact, there's a Nobel Prize awarded for this nitro, as you know. So, for the audience to realize that insulin, when it comes down, the nitric oxide production goes up, and therefore, you vasodilate appropriately. Your blood vessels are not imprisoned anymore, and blood pressure started coming. this this, this is amazing because for the first time in my life i felt that the patients were doing something that was actually bringing their blood pressures down i mean we always tell patients who have high blood pressure okay avoid excess of salt and go do some exercises and those are fine they also can improve nitric oxide production. But this was a very powerful one. When I brought that insulin levels down on these patients through fasting, blood pressure just plummeted, and I had to actually take patients off blood pressure medications. Yeah. So yeah, that's a huge thing that I found with insulin. So fasting seemed to me the, the best way to, to, to really make the patient's blood pressures come down, and I found that the weight came down. And the question is, why did the weight come up? Well, insulin, you know, bottom line for all of you listening, insulin just is a storage molecule. Yeah. It puts everything in storage. So when the insulin levels come down, the storage padlocks are taken off, so your fat can now be mobilized. Now, this, of course, I can go into all the enzymes that are involved and, and, the, and the hormone dependent lipase, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the bottom line is, when insulin levels come down, now your fat pads are available for metabolism. And I found that the fats just started coming off the patients. And when I would look at these patients who would do the
3: fasting program, I'd look at them and they they look great. It's
4: not like their faces are all, you know, the, the excess of skin hanging off or they have skin hanging off their arms. No, fasting patients seemed to lose weight in a more beautiful way they were actually losing fat, but they were also losing the the right amount of skin as well.
0: All right, all right. And so throughout his word, we know uh, fasting existed. Yahushua fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And uh, when he was hungry, what did Satan want to do? You know, tempt him with, with bread. We know Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And he, and he was there with Yahuwah 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread, and he did not drink water. And we know Elijah fled from Jezebel, and he rose up and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of Elohim. On the Mount of Transfiguration during the Feast of Tabernacles, And after six days, Yahushua took Peter and Jacob, Yaakov, James, and John, his brother, and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transformed before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as the light. And seeing Moses and Eliyahu appeared to them, talking with him, And Peter, answering, said to Yahushua, Master, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three booths, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Eliyahu, Elijah. Fasting and prayer brings us spiritually and positionally closer to Yahuwah. And wrapping up, the broad term for fasting.
5: In many ways, fasting is you're really swimming against the tide of societal norms because we live in a society of abundance yet fasting is self-imposed scarcity and you know we're going to talk about fasting from food and the benefits for various different disease processes but also for promoting health and well-being but you could take it all a step further, couldn't you? If we're going to sort of link mind and body and heart all together, well, it's not just about fasting from food, is it? It's, it's also we can take social media fasts, we can take alcohol fasts, we can take caffeine fasts. Even that term fasting, it goes far beyond just food, really, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. You have so much insight into this. You've just hit me to something very
4: important. When we talk about our habits in fasting, and our addiction related to eating, and this pattern, you also talked about digital addiction. You almost just, you didn't quite say it in that way, but there is digital addiction. There's alcohol addiction, there's gambling addiction, there's other forms of addictions, and sugar addiction. And all these things seem to go to that part of the brain that gives us that reward. So we're living in a society where it's all about Instant rewards. And when you prime yourself in one area, you can slip into other areas as well. And that brings up this whole addiction thing that perhaps this pattern of eating that we've developed and this addictive pattern of eating every few hours, all the time, it's really an addiction. It is an addiction. And it, it seems to give us that instant reward. And it doesn't really matter what you're eating, but it's the fact that you're eating all the time and you need to get out of this. So we need to really look at our whole life to say that, look, the dopamine centers are primed already from a young age. And um, yes, we are addicted. We're an addicted society. You that the book that I just finished reading a few months ago, um, Dopamine Nation, I think it's called? Yeah, the fascinating insights. That you know, you prime yourself in one area, and then you'll slip into another addiction very easily. And I think that food is one of them. Yeah, I, I'm convinced that food is one of them. Um, so yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It is. It's, it's a whole lifestyle, and, and I tell my patients that if you really want to come off your current eating habits, we need to look at your whole life as well. Are you addicted to alcohol? Are you addicted to, to caffeine? Are you addicted to sugar? Are you addicted to even digital uh, uh, media? Um, because it's just the way we're programming ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And when they start looking to that, they do see that, Oh my god, right. and, you know, I
5: am probably addicted to this
4: pattern, and I can get out of
5: it. I've read that book, Dopamine I actually spoke to Anna Lemke, who wrote that just a few weeks ago on the show. A great conversation, but <laughs> I, I agree. Sir. It's an awesome book. Um, Many of us have heard of fasting. We've heard that various religions have used fasting for years. Many of us, depending on what culture we have grown up in, may know that our parents or our grandparents would fast from time to time. Yet despite knowing that, certainly in our current society, many of us aren't taking that next leap. Many of us think, You know, know I've heard you say before that you were a bit skeptical of fasting when you were in medical school. Many of us probably have thought in the past that, oh yeah, you know, what did my grandparents know, you know, I'm not going to fast. And what I'd love to do, because I think you do it so well, is really go through what happens in the body, biochemically, physiologically, when we start fasting. Because I think for many people, they're going to need that knowledge and that science to convince them that, Actually, you know, you
0: know what? maybe i should give this a go. absolutely yes we should give this a go and they'll go into more detail in our future sessions and like i shared before my family decided to do this we decided to do that intermittent fasting fasting we started uh, in june on june 20th i did and then my husband and carol followed. Mm-hmm. we've lost right at a hundred pounds between all of us so not only did we end up doing the OMAD one meal a day we put our three dogs on OMAD we did, we did, they don't need to eat more than once a day and they did better, they felt better, our goals were to lose weight, increase our energy and Bruce was able to come off his blood pressure medicine he had been on for years we wanted to actually be successful at fasting and prayer, we wanted to to have a stronger connection with Yahuwah, and now we are well on our way in obedience to the message of the manna. So it really doesn't take that very long. The topic of the message of the manna was Yahuwah's idea. He gave me the title like I shared before, before he gave me the message. By faith, I went for it. And he was faithful and provided a daily portion of hidden manna. In other words, he fed me, just as he has instructed us to feed his lamb, shepherd his sheep, and feed his sheep feeding his flock and the natural and supernatural is a highly important responsibility and it is a tough assignment because the last thing this world wants is for his sheep to flourish you know this and and just know that in malachi 3:10 it says bring all the tithes into the storehouse and let there be food in my house and please prove me in this said Jehovah of hosts whether i do not open for you the windows of the heavens and shall pour out for you boundless blessings and I shall rebuke the devourer for you so that it does not destroy the fruit of your ground nor does the vine fail to bring fruit for you in the field said Yahuwah of hosts he wants to bless us he always told us what to do now just in our lifetime physicians are bringing forth self-evidence Yahweh knew so very long ago and that's what he wanted for us so we can do it Philippians 4 13 I have strength to do all through Messiah who empowers me Shalom Shalom thank you, thank you.